All right, we're in the book of 1 Peter. And uh, it's been a good study so far. Last week, just a quick summary, we were talking about um, um, verse 9 of chapter 2. We can start there. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And... Um, Say amen when you're there. All right. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. And we talked about the things that the, that the New Testament believer um, was to offer uh, the different types of sacrifices. We talked about sacrificing our body according to Romans 12, 1. Um, we discussed that um, we were to sacrifice to the Lord praises with the fruit of our lips. That's what we did tonight. Amen. And um, we were also talking about um, that we sacrifice our substance. Amen. And, um, and the other thing that a New Testament believer is called to be, not only is he called to be a, um, a priest, or the, we talked about the roles of the priest, they have access to God, um, they make sacrifices, but they also, with those sacrifices, they make intercession, amen? And the Lord Jesus Christ has left the church on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit to Get the things done that need to be done here on earth. Amen. And, um, and the power of prayer is an amazing thing. And God has given the church, like we said last week, not the gift of intercession, but the call to intercession. We are all called to intercede. We're all called. The Bible doesn't select just a few people to intercede. The Bible says we all should make intercession. We all should make prayer and supplications amen. to the Lord. Unfortunately, just a few people actually heed that call. Amen. amen. So, so we, we saw that last week. And um, before we get into the meat of the word, I want to ask Brother uh, Clark to come up here because there's a particular term in the scriptures called a holy convocation. convocation. And come on up here and tell us what you told me last week about that. Be as brief as you can, because we're on a short leash tonight. Yeah, I, could, I can't get awful long-winded. Awesome. You can pop a um, seat there if you want, or you can stand. It's up to you. What I'm about to say brings forth the idea that we shouldn't be just glad to come to the house of God. We should be excited about it. Amen. In the King James Bible, where it, where it quotes the writings of Moses, it talks about a holy convocation. That comes from Latin, and it's a very weak term compared with the Hebrew. Mikro Kodesh was a praise meeting that was out loud in unison. And it was something that is special to those who believe in one creator God. Only the Jews and Christians can have this privilege. See, the pagans, whenever they had a, an event like this, they had chanting magic their gods had to be appeased their gods were very demanding but they had no way uh, to really appease this god so they didn't have what we have mm. 
So anyway, um, the uh, Jewish people actually invented the idea of putting music together and praising the one creator God. Now, uh, as far as other gods are concerned, the pagans could not have this because you couldn't sing praises to any god because you had to fear that the other gods would get jealous and kill you or hurt you. So it was only the Judeo-Christian people. We are so privileged, it's just unspeakable. We are privileged. Amen. Thank you, brother. It is a privilege. Amen. And, um, and it reminds me of what Paul said when he was in, um, when he was in Athens, he says, you worship many gods. He says, but you don't know. He says, I'm going to speak to you about a God that you can know. Amen. And that is the, that is the most wonderful thing about what we have, um, as believers. And so it is our royal, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Turn with me, if you would, real fast to Ephesians chapter 2. And before you do that, verse 10 says this in 1 Peter 10. I'm getting ahead of myself. I've got to shift down a gear here. Verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, which in times past, we were not a people but are now the people of God. In times past, we were not a people, but now we are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. Amen? That's the difference between us and the unbeliever. We've obtained mercy. You know, there was an old singer when I was first got saved. His name was Bob Carlisle. I love this guy. And he sang a song called, We Fall Down and We Get Up. Remember that song? We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. A saint is just a sinner who falls down and gets back up. Amen? That's the only difference. Because we've obtained mercy. Now look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm so glad you guys knew that song. That blessed me. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Say amen when you're there. This is another great scripture that should be underlined in every Bible. It links together real well with what we just read. It says, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Praise the Lord. We're no longer a stranger or a foreigner. But we are fellow citizens, amen? Amen. We have citizenship in heaven. Now, you know, we've got problems at the border right now. There's a lot of people that would love to have the privilege of being a citizen of the United States. Citizenship is something that is very, very important. It's important. And God has declared that we once did not have this access this privilege. There's a lot of things that comes, a lot of privileges that come with being a U.S. citizen. Amen. A lot of things. Well, there's a lot of 
benefits and privileges that come for being a fellow citizen of the household of God. Amen. Amen. And we talked about this last week a little bit with lively stones. Verse 20 says, and you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Amen. And whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And that's what's happening here tonight. That's what happens when we gather together. All right. Each stone is put together. Each one of you as lively stones is, is built up as a spiritual house. Amen. And, you know, people say, you know, we've always said, you know, the church is not brick and mortar. The church is individual believers that gather together, assemble themselves, and they are built up as a spiritual house. Amen. Amen. But we love our church building because it keeps us cool. It keeps us warm. It keeps us dry. Amen. Amen. It keeps us from the elements and it's a privilege to have a building. Praise God. So, but just remember that we coming together is what builds the house. Praise the Lord. All right, back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Now, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims to abstain from, fresh, bleh, from, fleshy, from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Let's keep reading for a while. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may, not, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endures grief and suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you would, shall take it patiently. But when you do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Amen? Amen. So, he starts off by calling us strangers and pilgrims. You know, you cannot be a pilgrim in this land until you first become a stranger. You know, we have to 
look at this world, it's not ours. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It will, but right now it's not ours. It's not our home. Bible says that Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Praise God. How many own mortgage, own homes in here? How many have a home, have a mortgage? That's not your house. I know we like to call it our house, but that is not your house. Okay? I know my bank account lets me know, but that's just the way it is. We got, we can't, we got to hold our possessions very loose. Okay? Because we are strangers in this land. And we are pilgrims. Now, the word pilgrim means someone that leaves one place looking for another, which is holy. All right? We're not just wanderers, vagabonds, but we are pilgrims because we don't just wander aimlessly. We are actually leaving and looking for that place that Jesus promised us, amen? And that's why we're pilgrims. You know, the pilgrims, they, they used to call them pilgrims that would leave Europe and they would travel to the Holy Land. Why? Because they were leaving their land and they were going to seek a place that was holy, that was sanctified and separate. And that's what we're doing. We're traveling in this place looking for that great city. Praise the Lord. Now, I highly recommend a book by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. Probably the second best-selling book other than the Bible that's ever been written. And it's a great book full of wonderful uh, illustrations and it, it speaks about the journey of the Christian walk. Amen. Read it to your children. So, pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. All right. When we know and we study when we study James and First John, we know we got the lust of the eyes, right? What else we got? The lust of the flesh and the pride of life, right? All temptation comes through those three things: lust of the eyes, lust of the, lust of the flesh, pride of life. All right. These fleshly lusts, you know, I like how he says they war against the soul. They war against you. They break you down. You know, the soul we know is conformed of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Amen? And fleshly lusts will war against your soul. Now, we know this, but it bears repeating. Before you were born again, your spirit man was dead. And your body or your flesh was in charge. And your mind, your soul, would be governed by what the body wanted. All right? But when you got born again, your spirit came alive to the things of God. And now your soul is caught in a tug of war between what the body wants and what the spirit wants. All right? And Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 are a beautiful illustration of this. But every Christian believer has to get to a place to where the spirit man, imagine yourself in a tug of war, amen? 
You got the flesh team on that side and the spirit team on this side and your soul is that flag in the middle. And we have to sow to the spirit more so that the soul and the mind, will, and emotions will be governed by what the spirit man wants. Amen? And that is, in a nutshell, the constant battle that every believer has to fight right now while we're on this earth. And why is that? Because we don't have our resurrected bodies yet. Remember, we said, when Jesus, he paid for the penalty of sin, all right, on the cross, right? And right now, with the Holy Spirit as our aid, you know, getting our soul sanctified, listening more of to the Spirit, right? We are dealing with the practice of sin, okay? Through the Spirit, we overcome the practice of sin. The penalty of sin has already been taken care of at the cross. Right now, we got to train our mind to stop the practice of sin. But when we get our new bodies, we will be, the presence of sin will be taken out. When Jesus comes back, the presence of sin will be gone, all right? So remember that. We have the penalty, the practice, and the presence of sin. So right now, we are training our minds through the Holy Ghost and through his word and through worship and through being together to have the victory over our habits that try to war against what God wants us to do. Amen? Now, verse 12 have your conversation honest among Gentiles, all right? Not only your, your speech, but the way you conduct yourselves. When you're at work, when you're at school, the different things that, you know, we do from day to day, they should be honest. Every employer should want Christian believers working for them. Amen? Amen? Because we should be honest people. You know, we don't cheat, we don't lie, we do what's right even when it hurts us, amen? Because we do it for God. We don't believe in self-preservation. That's why a lot of people lie. When I catch my boys in something and they try to tell me a lie, it's because they're trying to save their backside, amen? (laughs) They're thinking about themselves, they're not thinking about what's right and wrong there. They're thinking about, they're thinking about preservation. <laughs> Amen. So, have your conversation amongst the Gentiles honest. Notice that he says the Gentiles. In other words, the unbeliever. All right. He's dealing with our witness to the world. That whereas when they speak against you as evildoers, and they do, how many have been accused of doing wrong when you've never done anything wrong? Why? Because the Christian believer is the great scapegoat of history. The Christian believer, the God-fearing person, has always been man's scapegoat. Blame them. Blame them. Now, When they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, in other words, you being honest in how you conduct yourselves, which they shall behold. In other words, they got to see what we're doing is right. Okay, you can't just do it in a corner. You got to make it open. 
When they see it, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. So in other words, that's a couple of things. One, your witness on how you conducted your life convicted them and they turned to the Lord and they got saved. Amen. That's one way. Or, praise God, when you're raptured out of here, they'll be like, man, I remember what that guy was saying. You know, I remember the things that he had said. And hopefully at that moment, they'll turn to the Lord. But the bottom line is, we must have an honest conversation in the world so that they will turn to Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Now, this scripture here can be a difficult scripture because this also can be really subject to interpretation. The first thing I want you to notice when he says, when he talks about kings and governors, why were they sent, according to verse 14? To punish evildoers. And also to praise them that do well. The number one reason for ordinances and authority is to punish those that mean harm and to give praise and reward to those that do good. That is the fundamental reason for authority, okay? That is the main reason. Why do we have government? To punish the evildoers and to reward the good. Why is that? Because then that's the way we keep a, a, a decent society. All right, that's the way we keep order, all right? If somebody does something wrong and they're punished, people's like, I don't wanna do that anymore. Okay, it keeps people in check, all right? It keeps people in check. Now, has men, have men in the Bible always done what the kings have told them to do? No, they haven't, okay? And that's not a contradiction of scripture here. Because... When man tells you to do something that is contrary to God's law, we have scriptural proof that we don't have to obey that. We don't have to obey that. Okay? I'm going to give you a couple examples today, all right? First, go with me to Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And we'll start at verse 1 because it's a pretty cool story. Say amen when you're there. All right. I'm going to speed her up here a little bit because I ain't got a whole lot of time. All right. Now, it pleased Darius, verse 1, to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which would be over the whole kingdom. All right. 120 guys were appointed over all of the provinces of Persia. And over these pres- over these. Over, over these three presidents or governors of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them and the king should have no damage. So in other words, you had 120 governors in these different states and over these 120, they were accountable to just three guys. And out of those three guys, one of them was Daniel, okay? 
So verse 3, then this Daniel, he was preferred, preferred above the presidents and princes because he had a what? Excellent An excellent spirit was in him. In other words, he had the spirit of God, just like Joseph did. All right. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So he's like, this guy is doing such a great job. He's got an excellent spirit. I trust him. He was thinking about putting him over the entire province, knocking out the other two that were there. And look at this then. So then the presidents and princes, they sought to find an occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. So what were the princes? They were jealous, weren't they? They were upset. They were about to lose their job. Now you can better believe that most of your persecution as a believer is going to come because of security. Most of the time, people will persecute the church because they're worried about their security. Just like when Paul was preaching and that woman had a tormenting spirit, a mocking spirit, trying to preach the gospel, but she wasn't preaching the gospel. She was, it, was, it was a spirit of divination that was in her. And finally, Paul couldn't take it anymore. He cast the devil out of her, right? So she lost her powers that the devil was giving her to read fortunes, and it says that she was making profit for her masters. Well, when her masters realized she didn't have no power to make money anymore, they got mad, and they came at who? They came at Paul. Why? Because they had lost their financial security. These guys are about to lose their financial security, and they're about to try to pull a fast one. Now, he says here, they could not find any fault with Daniel, but they could find no occasion nor fault. Why? Because according to 1 Peter, he had his conversation honest amongst the Gentiles. All right? Could not find no fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Praise God. You could do an audit on his books and they were clean as a whistle. He was not cooking the books. Amen? Verse 5 says, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So now, you see what they're trying to do now. So then these presidents and princes, they assembled together to the king, and they said unto him, King Darius, live forever. You always know, so they're up to no good when they start off like that. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days except for you, O king, he will be cast into the den of lions. All right, so they were trying to make a law that said it was illegal to intercede. They tried to make a law against intercession, that the only person that could be, um, you know, intercede was the king. And so it says, now, O king, establish this decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which alters not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. He didn't know. He's just listening to these guys. It sounded official, but he didn't know. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, 
he went into his house. And his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before. Amen. So did Daniel yield? No. Because Daniel was accountable to a higher law. Daniel, Daniel was accountable to worship. Daniel was accountable to intercede for the nation of Israel. They were in Babylon right now. Daniel knew by the prophecies of Jeremiah that one day Israel was going to return to Jerusalem. And he was committed to the Lord to pray, to intercede, and to worship. Amen. So when these guys tried to pass an ordinance that made it illegal to worship, he said, I'm not listening to them. You know what I like? He bowed right in front of the window. He went right to the same place that he'd always gone to, right in the open window. Amen. Praise God. All right. So that's one spot. Go with me over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Say amen when you're there. All right. Here we go then. So Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It says, now Peter and the other apostles, um, well, I think I need to go a little further up, don't I? Let me see where it says. There it is. All right. Verse 27. It says, and when they had brought them out of the prison, Peter, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Okay? So they were just doing what Jesus told them to do. They were being a witness for Jesus about his death, burial, and resurrection. And they were preaching the gospel. Well, the high priests in the the council, the Jewish council, they were upset that they were teaching in the name of Jesus. And they forbid them to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. All right? Mainly because... They were worried that it was turning people against them. So once again, they were worried about their what? Their security. They were worried about their security. And then look what Peter said in verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree... And him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart, and they took counsel to slay them. So now they were even going, trying to go even further than locking them up in jail. They wanted to execute them, all right? So Peter, the guy that went through this, all right, 
He's not contradicting himself when he tells us to submit to ordinances, kings, and governors. All right? We got to take the Bible in its, all of its context. We cannot pull scripture out of context that fits the situation. I feel a lot of people were doing this in last year. People were trying to take this scripture out of context. Okay? When it, when, with regards to ordinances about public worship. Now, let's just be clear. This is my opinion, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. First of all, as a U.S. citizen, we are not accountable to kings. The United States of America does not have a king. The United States of America is a republic. And the highest degree or the highest form of law in the United States is the Constitution. And the Constitution gives legal right for a religious assembly, a peaceful assembly. There's not a governor, there's not a king in all of this land that can tell you that you cannot assemble to worship Almighty God. It's not there, okay? So we're different than other nations, okay? Now, so when you try to bring this scripture to me and say, well, you know, you shouldn't worship because... Mike DeWine said, you know, you should have church. Well, first of all, Mike DeWine's not God. All right? He's not God. All right? All right. All right. So, when the Bible tells us, because we saw last week, and this is what I think the problem was that we had last year. Most believers, well, not most, I don't know who, but it seems to me, not our church, but some of the people that I've ran into, most Christians has boiled down Sunday services to a, um, to an essential, to a service that is all about them. Okay. That is a service. that's all about them. Some even had the audacity to say, I don't really need to go on Sunday because Johnny's got soccer. I can maybe catch it on Video, or I can catch a Saturday service, or I can catch a Wednesday service, whatever. All of these ideas, though, to really put it clear, what they have done is they've made the Sunday service about them. And therefore, they now decide whether or not they need it or not. Like, do I need a Big Mac or not? You know? Church is not a service like a restaurant or a grocery store or a hairdresser or a, 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 a coach. Okay, it's not a service for you. It's a service for him. Amen. We saw last week what a Christian's responsibility was to give praises, to make sacrifices, to offer things unto him. And so when a governor tries to tell me that I can't give praises unto God. Some even had the audacity to say we could not sing, which it said clearly right there that we should offer him fruits of our lips, which is singing. Well, I have to be a Daniel. I have to be a Peter and I'm not going to listen to you. Okay. Now what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to condemn those that may not feel like me. Okay. You set the table, you do what you do, 
Let those come that will come, and those that don't go, they don't come. That's fine, all right? When we were in England and we were preaching the gospel on the streets and the lady that owned the curtain shop, she got mad at us and she called the cops on us and they tried to shut our open air meeting down. So the police officer said, you know, you cannot come, you cannot preach, you cannot speak. And we said, why? She said, well, you know, the lady over there is complaining that you're taking away her business. Well, we just said, we're not going to do that. You know, we're not going to let one lady in a curtain shop tell us to stop preaching the gospel. And he said, if you guys continue to preach, we'll have to take you to jail. So the first guy got up, my dad, he got up, he started preaching. They whiffed, they grabbed him, they threw him in the paddy wagon. Then Christy got up, she started preaching. They grabbed her, they threw her in the paddy wagon. Then I got up, I started preaching, they threw me in the paddy wagon. About four, five, six, seven different people, just as they were p- taking them off, the next one would get up. And then the next one would get up. Next. And so that whole wagon was full of preachers because the cops arrested all the people that were preaching the gospel. Now, there were people in our party that didn't, you know, they didn't stand up and preach after, you know, after like the eighth person. Okay, I guess they figured, you know, I got too much to lose here. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go to jail. But, you know, we never condemned those people. We never said, oh, you know, you should have preached. You, you know, you're a loser. You don't really love God. You didn't go to jail with us. No, we didn't do that. Okay. But there are just people, different people that have a different view. Okay. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a radical guy when it comes to the things of God. Okay, and because I really believe in it, man. Amen. Not saying these guys don't believe, but what I really believe in is I believe in giving God honor. Okay, and I believe that when they when they tried to say you can't come and you can't have church, I believe it was a dishonor to Almighty God. Now you guys know that have been here for a while. We did our part to try to, you know. We, we said, you know what, let's see where this thing's going to go. We'll, we'll do, we'll, 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 you know, we'll be a good sport. Yeah. But once we saw that thing was, all the elders of the church got together and said, we need to worship God. We cannot, we cannot hold back God's praises for, till, somebody, till some man decides when it's okay that we can worship God. That's right. We're not going to live like that. As a matter of fact, we've got the actual backing of the holy scriptures and a document that this country was founded on that gives us that right to do that amen so we exercise that right praise god and many people all across the nation exercise that right all right and so where does that leave us then if you keep reading down the, the verse here then it says All right, we're supposed to do these things according to 14 and 15. It's the will of God that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Okay? So in other words, you know, what he's saying is that when we're, we have a freedom, but we can't be, you know, Paul said, I'm free to do all things, but not all things edify. All right, this may rattle a chain or two. 
Hey, I'm free to go out and have a case of Budweiser. But the case of Budweiser is not going to edify me. Okay? You know, there's only a few things that the church told, the early church told those guys that they should abstain from. Fornication, all the different, you look at Leviticus 19, all the illegal acts of sex, all right, that's fornication. Abstain from all those things. Abstain from, you know, eating things, you know, sacrifice to idols. Don't drink the blood. They didn't put a lot of laws on the early church, amen? So Paul said, hey, I'm free to do all things. But not all things are good. Not all things are expedient is one translation. Not all things actually get you where you need to go in God, all right? Hey, if I go home and drink a case of Budweiser, man, you may not see me for eight weeks. I'm just saying. I know how I was. I'll go on a binge and you'll never see me. Maybe never. I don't want to be that way because God delivered me from that. Amen? God buried that old man. All right, and I don't need that stuff to make me happy anymore. And not only does, do I don't need it, it ain't, it, it ain't going to get you or me where we need to go in God. Amen? Amen. So I practice a strong abstination from those kind of things, just like it told me right there in verse, uh, in verse um, where was it? In verse 11. Abstain from fleshly lust. Why? Because they war against the soul. Those things war against the soul, man. They're not going to help me. Be all I can for God. But in that freedom, you know, people always say that. Well, I'm free to do whatever I want, you know. And I always find these guys that are like taunting their freedom are always giving me a hard time. That I don't want to do it. Like pushing it on me. Come on, come on. Oh, you're one of those teetotalers. They're like making fun of me. And I'm not even saying anything to them. I'm not like, thou shall not have but I'm not coming in there preaching on them. I'm just trying to, you know, have a family party that I was invited to. And all of a sudden, I'm the bad guy because I'm not doing what they're doing. And I don't know why it always happens. But you know what I call? I think it's conviction. I think it's conviction. Because people like to try to convince you to do what they're doing to make them feel better. But I always find that these guys, they try to flaunt their liberties and say, I'm free to do this. I'm free to do that. Okay, well, if you're free, then don't do it. Oh, no, but I'm free to do it. Well, then don't do it, but I'm free to do it. Well, if you're free, if it don't really got you in bondage, then why don't you stop while I'm here? They can't do it. Why? Because they're in bondage. And they just don't want to admit it. The reality is, if you need that stuff every day, every night, whatever you need, if you need that to make yourself feel relaxed, hey, all I can say, man, is the Holy Ghost is enough, amen? Amen. He's the high, like they're the high of the most high, man. You know, I've never felt like I feel in the Holy Ghost. All right, so I just want to, we're going to circle back to this next week, but for the sake of time, I want to get to where I was going. Look at this, verse 19. For this is thankworthy that if a man for conscience toward God endures grief and suffers wrongfully. Okay, so did Daniel suffer grief? Yeah, but did God deliver him? Yeah. yeah. How about Peter? He was thrown in jail. Did he yeah. suffer grief? Yep. How about Paul? Yeah. 
He suffered grief. You know, he had a stain on him. God delivered him through a great earthquake. We suffered grief when we went to jail. You know, you may, if you, if you're going to obey God instead of man, when it comes to ordinances that forbid you to do the law of God, you may suffer. You may suffer. And that's the problem. People should reject the ordinances of men when they go against God's law, but they're not willing to suffer. They're worried about their reputation. I know one guy, he found out, he, at least he was honest. He said, man, I can't go to jail. I'll lose my benefits. That's what he told me. I can't go to jail. I'll lose my benefits. Well, hey, I, I, I appreciate your honesty there, brother. You know, but you just got to, you know, what, we got to be willing to suffer. And, you know, praise God, there was a few men, a few good men in this nation that were willing to suffer. There's a pastor in Florida, I believe, with all my heart to this day. The reason why Florida is the way it is is because in the beginning of this thing, one man stood up, said, I'm having church. They took him to jail. And that whole action of taking him to jail, the governors and the leadership in Florida realized, we can't do this. This is against the law. This is against the law. You see, and in a lot of places, the sheriff is elected, isn't he? And if the sheriff is elected, he's elected to uphold the Constitution. He is an elected official to protect your rights. So when that sheriff arrested that man, then the governor and the, and the counselors, they were like, oh, man, we have, we have messed up here. It's kind of like when they flogged Paul. Remember when they whipped Paul? And they said, is it legal to whip a Roman citizen? And oh, man, they started quaking in their boots. They're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know he was a Roman. What are you guys doing? Why did you whip him? Da, da, da. Well, that's what happened down in Florida. And it happened down there because one pastor had enough conviction to stand up for the things of God. And it blew that whole state wide open. Praise the Lord. But. We've got to be willing to have verse 19 in our hearts because this is thankworthy that if a man with a conscience towards God endure grief and suffering, even if it is wrongful, it's wrong that they locked that pastor up in Canada. It's wrong. But I tell you what, when he gets released, it's going to blow some things open up there. Okay, because sometimes some wrong has to be done that right can shine forth. Amen? Amen. That's just the way it is. And then this should be be here in verse 20. For what glory is it is if if you're buffeted or if you're punished for your faults and you take it patiently. In other words, if you deserve to get a whipping and you took it, what? That's no big deal. You deserved it. And you took it. You deserved it. But when you do well and you suffer, if you take it patiently, now this is what is acceptable with God. Amen. When you are scourged or you are mocked or you are punished or suffer, when you were in the right and you did not complain, but you took it like Jesus did. Pilate was amazed that Jesus wasn't opening up his mouth. Pilate knew Jesus was an innocent man. He knew these guys were up to no good. 
And he could not believe that Jesus was sitting there taking it. Why? Because Jesus knew there was a higher purpose for him to suffering this wrong. And I can bet you can bet your bottom dollar when you are suffering wrong for doing right, there's a higher purpose in it. And if we start getting our guns and our ammo and we start trying to have another Waco, that's not what the book instructs the Christian believer to do. Okay, the book does not instruct us to do that. It says, stand up for what's right, but when you suffer, take it patiently because this is what's acceptable with God. Amen. Amen. And this guy was writing to a bunch of believers that were persecuted by Nero. Caesar Nero was a crazy man. He was a villain man. And he, he treated the Christians awful. All right? I'm going to close with this then. It says, honor the king. You know, we've got a lot of Republicans in this house, and I'm thankful for it. But listen, you don't have the right to criticize the office of the president. You cannot mock him or you cannot call him names. I don't care what Hannity says or what any of these uh, conservative talk shows say. You cannot utter cursings and bad mouth that office. You may not agree with what they're doing. You may not agree with them. Okay, but according to the scriptures here, we still have to give honor. My daughters don't always agree with what's going on with when I say things, but they still have to honor me. Okay, they may not agree with it, but I'm in charge and they need to honor me. They can't start bad mouthing me. Don't bad mouth the president. Pray for the president. Amen. Don't bad mouth the president. Pray for the president. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor.